Good morning. It is certainly great to be here this morning. I am very grateful for this opportunity, and it's great to see everyone. If you're a visitor here, we certainly want to welcome you back anytime that you have the opportunity. Uh, I always feel really blessed when I have the opportunity to share a portion of God's Word with everyone, to hopefully uplift and edify, edify everyone in some way. I hope that the things I have to say this morning are going to be beneficial to you and help you walk in a way that uh, pleases God more thoroughly and also sort of inspires you to walk in a way that is more beneficial for everyone. What I have here on this picture is this, it's called a truthometer. It's from a site called PolitiFact, if you've ever gone there. And I have it as a reminder in the beginning to let everyone know that you need to be honest. It kind of ranges from true to half true to, to pants on fire here, from how honest you are with yourself. And I really want this to remind everyone this morning that every day, and especially when you're sitting in church service, you need to be honest with yourself. You need to really dig deep and think about the things that God's Word has told us to do and to think about the way you're living your life and to really consider where you're falling short and to really be honest with yourself. And in this particular topic that I have chosen for this morning, I find it to be um, more important than usual to really be honest with yourself because it's really easy for me personally to hide from the things I'm going to talk about this morning. As you can see, the, the adults are titled, The Lord Weighs the Heart. And it's coming from Proverbs chapter 21, verse 2, that says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. Now, this is a verse I've read several times, and for some reason, I've always just sort of like read it. Yep, that's right, and just kept on going. Like, I just brushed on through it. Didn't really like sit down to consider, what is this telling me? I just skimmed right on through it. But when I started looking at it, you had these two statements here. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, and then, but the Lord weighs the heart. You have these two things, and they're sort of contrasted. There's some sort of relationship going on, and the first one is pretty obvious, you know. I, I think we can all sort of identify with the picture. To save time, let's just assume I'm right. I know I have that mindset several times a day. Let's just assume I'm right. I think that everything I'm doing, everything I'm thinking, everything I'm saying is perfectly fine. Even just the other day, I interrupted Carrie in the car and Jesse corrected me. In my mind, I was thinking, I didn't interrupt her. What I had to say was more important. <laughs> I immediately justified in my mind what I was doing. And to save time, I was saying, I'm right. And we have a tendency to do so as humans. We want to think we're right. We want to think the things we do are right. And sometimes we actually are. But the Lord weighs the heart. It's sort of a contrast here where there's something deeper going on. There's a bigger picture in mind than just necessarily is what, is what you're doing right. There's something deeper going on. And to really understand this, I think we need to consider what this phrase means, but the Lord weighs the heart. You know, what is it what does it mean for this for God to weigh our hearts? Well, the the NET version of the Bible says the Lord evaluates the motives. And I think this is a pretty good description of what Proverbs chapter 21 verse 2 is talking about. 
that there's this evaluation going on. And when I think about an evaluation, I think about like a, a test in school or a progress report in work where you have to turn something into the teacher or your boss or whoever it is. And they're going to look at what you have given him and they're going to have some sort of standard in mind. Like, well, did they, if it's a teacher, they're just going to have like a key, like on a math test. They're going to have a key to see how right you were. And they're going to look at that standard, look at what you did, and they're going to evaluate. See how far off from the mark you are, even with a progress report. You probably have the same thing in a job where they're trying to look at how efficient you're being at your job, if you're sufficiently doing the job, whatever it is. There's some sort of standard involved with this evaluation, and it says that it is the motives here in the NET version. And I think that what this is telling us is that ultimately God is not concerned with just our actions, but our hearts. And at heart is our motives, our intentions, the the seed of our passions, I think is the uh, Hebrew word for heart, typically. It's where your passions lie. It's where your motive is. And so whenever we are going throughout our life and we consider what I'm doing is right, what we we need to consider is the Lord is evaluating my motives. There's not just my action involved, but there's something that precedes it. And so this sort of tells us that there's a standard involved. And what we I want to do this morning to start off with is to think about this standard. What is the standard that God is weighing our heart against? What is the standard that when God is evaluating our motives that he's saying, you know, are they hitting the mark or, or are they off? What is this standard? I think we can find the uh, the first and foremost thing in just the second verse after Proverbs 21.2. In verse 3 it says, To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. And what this really just boils down to is don't abuse grace. To do good, to do justice, to do righteousness. These things are more acceptable than sacrifice, which appeased for your for your sins, or the grace which gives us forgiveness now. The first and foremost thing that we need to have in our life is a mindset that is, I'm not going to abuse grace. You know, because God is not this naive teenager, kid, whatever, that you can sort of take advantage of. Like my nine-year-old brother, I'll say, I'll pick on him, and they'll say, hey, go get me a drink, and he'll run off, he'll get me a drink. You know, I can pick on him, if he's kind of naive like that, I can do that, he's my brother. But God's not my nine-year-old brother. He's more mighty than we can imagine. He's more powerful than we can imagine. And He's not someone to mess with. And so we shouldn't abuse grace. Our first and foremost standard to meet with our heart, our passion, our motives is, I'm not going to abuse God's grace. In order to dig a little deeper and think about what exactly a heart standard is, I think one place we can look is the life of Jesus. And sort of look at some of the things He taught the Pharisees. When we look at this example in Matthew chapter 9, what's going on here is um, you got Jesus, he's eating with, I guess, maybe a tax collector here and a sinner here. I'm not sure which one the picture wanted to portray is which, but he's eating with the tax collectors and the sinners, and in the background there you'll see that there's these people coming up, and that's the Pharisees. And he see they see Jesus eating with these tax collectors and sinners, and they go up to the disciples and they say, what is he doing eating with these sinners? What is he doing eating with them? And Jesus overhears it, and he looks at them, and he says something along the lines of, a doctor is for the sick, not the healthy. And then says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not, call, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
and then they go off. They don't really have anything else to say, uh, according to Matthew. But then a few chapters later, in Matthew chapter 12, we see a similar instance. Here you have the disciples and Jesus on the Sabbath. They're hungry, and the disciples are going through and plucking some grain, and they're eating it. And the Pharisees see this happening, and they come up and they're saying to Jesus, what are your disciples doing plucking grain on the Sabbath? And Jesus tells them, and I'll dig into this a little bit more later, he basically tells them, you don't know what you're talking about. Even the priests profaned the Sabbath, and they were in it, they were excused. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. This is an interesting phrase, and this is the last that we see of it in the Gospel accounts. It's never really explained what exactly this means, but I think, I really think, and am confident that this has a lot to do with the heart standard and how we can look at the Pharisees who see their own ways as right, but Jesus evaluating the heart, weighing the heart. And if we want to learn more about this, this, as you can see, it's got some kind of quotes around it. It's quoting from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, which says, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. And it really... It's kind of confusing to think about. I want mercy and not sacrifice. So is God wanting to give more mercy rather than for us to have sacrifice? I certainly think that's true. But what exactly does this, what exactly does this mean? Well, if you look in different versions of the Bible, when you look at this, it will say different things other than I desire mercy. Some say, uh, say loving kindness. Some say faithfulness. Some say piety. This is because this word, the Hebrew word here for mercy, is kind of a, well, I call it a robust word. It has several different meanings in the English language. And really what it boils down to is that God wants their loyalty. God wants their love. God wants them to have this kindness, this mercy, this goodness, to have a sense of loyalty to Him and to portray this love. And then if we look at the second part of this, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings... God is telling them, I want you to know me. I want you to know me. I am love. I am goodness. Know me. Know my will. Know what I want. Have a relationship with me. And then you put these two things together that God is desiring more than sacrifice, which is something that God asked Him to do. And I think that the picture I'm getting is that God wants them to pursue a relationship with Him and to do things based off of that relationship with Him and based off of the understanding that He is love and His purpose is love. And so what God wants is for them to seek to fulfill His purpose. And that involves your motives, that involves your passions, that involves your actions, that involves everything being directed towards His will, His purpose, His being, in seeking to fulfill that. And that is what we should have today. What we don't want is robotic compliance. God didn't want robotic compliance from the uh, Jews, and he doesn't want it today, From as we can see from Jesus' example. Because robotic compliance, really, when it boils down to it, is nothing more than self-preservation. 
It's saying, well, I'm doing this right, I'm doing this right, I'm doing this right, I'm doing this right, I'm doing this right. And it's sort of going through and say, and just treating everything like a rule book, not really seeking to fulfill the underlying purpose. Not really seeking to fulfill the love that should be there, just wanting to do things right. And that's just self-preservation. You're not trying to show loyalty to God. You're trying to show loyalty to yourself. We should be doing more than just being robotically compliant. Like, a, if you don't, if that doesn't make sense, you have a robot and they program these things. Robots don't understand what you're saying. They just have a lot of syntax going on and they can read just the form and know what to do. They don't understand the meaning behind the things. They don't understand the semantics. It's all syntax to them. And that's why if you accidentally mess up on something... It doesn't know what to do. We can understand meaning. And God wants us to understand the meaning. And we can see through Jesus' example that He wanted them to do the same thing. When they were, when they were uh, eating with the sinners, that's why He told them, a doctor is for the sick, not the healthy. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He's essentially telling them, you missed the point. You completely missed the point. Yeah, there was a law saying abstain from evil influences. But that didn't mean never talk to them. You're supposed to help them. You completely missed it. You were so far from the point because your heart was not right. You were just trying to be robotically compliant. You were just trying to check some things off the rule book. And then in the next example, we look at him and they're uh, eating. And if you look in the example in Mark of Jesus uh, and the disciples getting the grain, what he tells them is that the Sabbath was not, the man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. He's telling them, you don't even understand the Sabbath. You don't even know what it's about. The Sabbath was not a day that was made for them to have to stress and worry or have anxiety about or to go hungry over. It was a day for rest. It was a day for them to take a break. But the Pharisees, trying to be robotically compliant, not really seeking to fulfill the purpose, which was to rest, had their heart in a completely wrong place, and they were condemning the guiltless. They were completely missing the point and they were so far off. The point was to love. The point was to fulfill God's will. The point was to have a relationship with Him. And that's the same thing that we need to have today as we can see from Jesus' example. we got to have a heart that is pursuing God and His message and His love. Not our own and nothing else. We can really see what the heart standard is when we go to 1 Corinthians 13. It says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. When I look at this... I see, oh, well, that's a good thing. Oh, and that's a good thing. Oh, and that's a good thing. There's lots of good things here, right? Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. What I see is good things that you can do. But the Lord weighs the heart. He's not concerned with you just doing the good things, but meaning the good things. To have the love that 
that should be there. To have these actions provoked by love. To have these actions provoked by a desire to fulfill His will. By having a heart and a passion for God and who He is. Which is goodness and mercy and grace and love. And all of the things that come out of us should be based upon this motive. Not just doing the right thing, but doing the right thing for the right reason. And we can see this in a couple of applications in our life. We can see how this heart center is is involved. And the first one is where you're sitting in worship. In Matthew 6, 6 6-8 it says, But when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. This is a tangible example of how we can do the right thing for the wrong reason. And that is, look at me. I am worshiping God in the assembly of the church. Look at me. I'm here. I'm sitting in the pew. Look at me. But that's not right. Jesus is condemning that right here. That is a terrible motive to have. And when you may be doing the right thing and thinking you're doing the right thing, but God is evaluating your motive. And He knows why you're here. And if it's here to say, look at me, he knows. Moreover, in Matthew chapter 15, verses 7 and 9, it says, Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. I've heard this verse a lot, especially in the church of Christ. I hear this verse a lot. People really can hammer down this idea of teaching as doctrines the commandments of men and how that causes you to worship God in vain. And I think that's great. I think we should teach people. You don't teach people what man says. You teach what God says. And I think we should teach people this is what God wants us to do in the worship assembly. Those things are great. But God requires a little balance. And sometimes we miss that because we kind of miss that part right before and in vain they worship me. Where it says, but their heart is far from me. There's more than just the syntax. There's more than just going through worship like a checklist saying, well, I sang today and I prayed today and I did the Lord's Supper today and I heard a sermon today. And when that's what we focus on, that's what we do. We turn worship assembly into a checklist, which is robotic compliance, which is loyal to yourself, not God. We need to make sure our heart is near to God. Not just trying to do the right things, but meaning the right things. Being here to edify the person next to you. Being here to glorify God and to worship Him, who's really the only person worthy of being praised. Not yourself. Having a heart that is near Him. And I can't tell you how many times I've come into this church, I've come into this church service, the one in Oxford where I came from or wherever it is, I picked up that songbook and la, 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 not thinking a single bit about the words I was saying. And I was going through that checklist, but my heart was far from God. 
It was on the math equation. It was on the football game. It was on the TV show I like. It was on the dinner that I was going to eat tonight. It was on Carrie's chicken and dumplings. It was on something or another, whatever it is. And my heart was far from here. But God doesn't want that. He knows your heart. He knows where you're at. And even if you think your way is right, He knows why you're here. And we need to consider that. We need to make sure our heart is not far from God, but it is drawn closer to Him with a humble spirit, wanting to praise Him, to uplift our brethren, and to love others, to fulfill His will. In Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 24, it says, I hate, I despise your feast days, and I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments, but let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. I believe this applies today. I see, I hate, I despise your feast days, and I do not savor your sacred assemblies. And I think, but you asked for those things, God. You told them to do that. Why do you hate it? Why do you despise it? You wanted the burnt offerings. You wanted the peace offerings. You wanted the music. Why do you hate it? Why do you despise it? Why do you reject it? I think it's pretty obvious. Because they did not let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. And the same thing can happen today. Where you in your own life, Monday through Saturday, are partying it up and living it however you want. And then you come to church and play church. You don't let righteousness go like a mighty stream. And your heart is far from God if you think that's acceptable. To go and do whatever you want through the week and come here on Sunday and everything's alright. That's not what God wants. God demands more. He demands more than a Sunday morning and a Sunday afternoon. He demands your heart completely devoted to Him or your worship is in vain. Your heart is far from Him. And so this kind of gets us into a worship that's not just in the assembly, but the worship that's in everyday life. And how our heart needs to meet the standard every single day. In Matthew chapter 6, 1-4, through 4, we see another tangible example of everyday motives being correct, or wrong rather. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they had their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It is so easy to do good when someone is watching. Very easy. But God demands more than easy. He wants you to do it in secret. And to have a heart that is wrong, well, this is one of the best examples you could get. Doing good for the sake of being seen. Once again, that's self, that's self-praise. That's not God-praise. That's a focus on yourself. When you do good, if you say something nice to someone, if you hold a door open for someone, if you give someone a high five, whatever it is, if you do good, do good to do good. 
Do good to love others. Do good to fulfill God's will in everything you're doing. Don't do it to be seen. In Galatians 5, 13 and 14, I think this kind of teaches us a lot about how our motive is so essential and how the things we do, it, it involves more than just right or wrong actions. In Galatians 5, 13 and 14, it says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We have a lot of freedom. In the, in the Galatians here, he's reading to, he's, Paul is writing to the people of Galatia, and they've been set free from the old law. And he's telling you, you got a lot of liberty. There's a lot of things you can do now that you couldn't do before. And what is he telling them? Don't use your liberty for yourself. There's a lot of things that are okay for you to do, but that doesn't make it right. We've got a pretty tangible example here in America, because we have a lot of freedoms, right? We all love our freedom. And I believe, yeah, so the Bill of Rights, First Amendment, what is it? Freedom of speech, right? You have the freedom to go over on the corner here and dog dusty here as much as you want. It's all right. You can do it in America. You can go on the corner over here and you can talk bad about someone all you want. You can protest. You can have a sign that says, I hate everyone. I don't, you can do whatever you want as far as freedom of speech goes. Well, there's a few exceptions, I know, like businesses and things. But you can do a lot of things with your freedom of speech. But just because you have the right to do it doesn't make it right to do it. Just because you have the liberty to do something doesn't mean you should necessarily do it. You can do something and say, well, I didn't do anything wrong because there's nothing technically wrong with what you did. But that doesn't make it right. It's sort of like when I was a kid. My mom told me, take one more bite. And I separated all the peas away from one pea. And I stuck the fork in. I ate it there. One more bite. Right? Technically, I did what I was supposed to. Right? But I didn't fulfill the purpose of it. And that's what God is telling us here in Galatians 5. You can do a lot of things. You know, there's nothing wrong with having a drink of alcohol. But to go down with a bottle of rum in your hand down the street saying, I love Jesus, and just, you know, take a swig every now and then. What does that do? What does that show? You know, Carrie and I were talking last night about someone who who may like to get their hair done in some crazy ways and to do some things that they can technically legally do and there's nothing wrong with it, but it just causes contention. When you do something, seek to fulfill the purpose, which is love. And you'll find that sometimes, even though it's okay to do something, it's not okay to do it in that time. Because there's a time and season for everything. And if we're going to have this heart that God is wanting us to do, we're going to have to really be honest with ourselves and think, man, I can do that, but should I? You're going to have to really be honest with yourself and look at the actions you've done previously and say, yeah, there's nothing wrong with what I did, but why did I do it? Did I do it to be seen? I do it for myself. In our life, we have to really evaluate what we're doing. Not just what we're doing, but why we're doing it. Last verse here in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. First and second greatest commands. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and great command. And the second like unto it, 
So love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. It all comes to this. That's what I've been saying. That when it comes down to it, your heart needs to be driven by this. To love God with all of your being. To love God with everything you have. Not just a piece of them. I have a quote by C.S. Lewis I like. It says, Give me all of you. I don't want so much of your time. I don't want so much of your talents and money and so much of your work. I want you. All of you. Give me yourself in exchange. I will give you myself. My will shall become your will. My heart shall become your heart. That's God talking to us. He wants all of us. It's very easy to give Him this hour, two hour, three hour block. But He doesn't want that. He wants all of you. And in having our heart in the right place, we need to recognize this. And we need to make sure that our hearts, our passion is devoted to God's purpose. That it is devoted to a relationship with Him. That it is devoted to having actions and it motivated by love. And motivated not by selfish gain or self-preservation, but something that is built and created by Him. And His will, not your own. So in conclusion, when we look at Proverbs chapter 21, verse 2, where it says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. We need to consider what this is telling us. What this is telling us is that God wants not just good actions, but He wants good hearts. He doesn't want you to just do the right thing. He wants you to do it for the right reasons. He wants you to do good things purposed by good hearts. And He wants these good actions to be created by a relationship with Him. He wants these things to be rooted and grounded in the love that He has shown us. To be rooted and grounded in the cross that we learned about a lot last week. To be rooted and grounded in His will, not our own. And to have every piece of our motivation and every piece of our intentions and passions to be developed around Him. And when we do things and God weighs our heart, and if that's truly where our heart lies, we will meet the standard. Because that's where it's at. And there may be some of you here this morning that are struggling to do that, that are just playing church, sitting on the pew. There may be some of you who have not hardly been here the past however long I've been speaking. It's a matter of the heart. And God knows your heart. You can sit here all you want. But God knows your heart and He knows where it's at. And if it's somewhere else, He knows. He's evaluated. And you will reap what you sow. There may be some of you that are just struggling with daily life. Having a motive that is really driven by love. I know that's hard for me. I want to be selfish a lot. But we need to fix that as well and make sure that we're really focusing on how our hearts need to be completely given to Him. If you're in any one of these cases, if you need the prayers or services of the church in any way, please come as we stand and sing.
As we come around the table, big theme today, provoked a thought about love. We remember the life of Jesus and the love he had for all of us, all the people then, during his time on this earth. You see, sometimes we get caught up in labels or circumstance, and we, and we use that as it cripples us. But Jesus didn't have those labels. He didn't have a checkbox of prerequisites in order to love you unconditionally. He didn't say, were you married, were you single, white, black, Hispanic, whatever it might be. It didn't matter, sick, sane, insane. He loved you. He loves us. How often have you or I been in a position to where we've come across someone or we've been in an awkward or uncomfortable situation and we chose not to demonstrate that Christian godly love? A homeless person. Someone that might be a little insane. Someone that might be ill. Someone that just might have upset us because of their actions or their words. So I encourage you all, including myself now, to remember the love. And as we just learned, it's a lot more than just a feeling. It's a lot of mindset, and it's a lot more action. And you have to demonstrate that in our daily walk. It starts now by showing God and showing Jesus that his action of dying on that cross the largest action, the most huge and significant piece of history that we could ever learn or experience or even think about. And I hope that hits home to you in some way in your life, and I hope now that you can reflect upon that life that you're living, and remember, as we though we might proclaim to have a love of universe, of humanity in our universe, we have to remember what universe is. It's you need me in one, verse meaning song, it's one song. We all play a part, and you have to think about your part in that song, and what are you playing? So let's humble now as we give thanks for the bread that represents Jesus' body on on that cross that day. And then the fruit of the vine that represents the blood that was shed to wash away all of our sins and give us hope for eternal life with our Lord and Savior. I ask if you'll bless the bread, please. Dear Heavenly Father, you are an awesome God. Thank you for everything you do for us. Please be with us now as we take this bread that represents your son's broken body. Let us remember that sacrifice. Let us examine ourselves as we do this. Have an open heart, open mind. Please forgive us of our sins. We ask all these things in uh, your son's name. Amen. Amen.
Zach, would you bless the fruit of the vine, please? Heavenly Father, we come to you now thanking, thanking you for allowing your son down, to come down to this earth to die for us for, so he could forgive us of our sins. Lord, we thank you for uh, that great sacrifice. We ask that we, as we partake of his uh, shed blood now, that we do it in manner speaking pleasing in thy sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
At this time, we're going to pass the collection plates for our members to contribute to the good works of the church. It does cost to keep the building up and running as well as to serve our community and our brotherhood. And uh, we ask now for you to give generously. This concludes our time around the Lord's table today. Six hundred and one will be our closing song this morning. Six hundred and one. Want to thank you again for being here. Uh, really liked the lesson this morning. Appreciated a lot. To me, that is the the highest bar for us to try to clear as Christians is to get our heart right. It's one thing to do the right thing. It's another thing to do it for the right reason. And to do that on a consistent basis. And at the very least, it should remove all pretense of being self-righteous. Because sometimes our actions may be righteous, but if we're honest with ourselves, as Dustin pointed out, that we needed to be in this example, then there's a lot of times we don't do it for the right reasons. And our heart's not right with God. And God very much seeks that. So uh, it, it helps me center. I appreciate the lesson a lot this morning. Uh, would invite your attention to the back of the bulletin. Uh, we have an ongoing prayer list, uh, which includes Jennifer Keschler, Tanya Munden, Jim Chisholm, Glenna Finley, Bonnie Hardy, uh, Jason Jones, Phyllis Payton, and Doc Simpson are all battling cancer. Uh, would ask you to continue to pray for those as well as uh, Kent, uh, Barbara Shippey, and then uh, U.L. Smith and, and his family. Uh, is there another word or announcement that we need to make? Glad to hear the surgery went well, but I know of an injury to a person of that age can be very difficult to come back from. So. That is encouraging and would ask you to continue to pray for her. If there's not anything else, I'll ask you to stand. We'll sing number 601, and I'll ask uh, Brother Sean Newell if you would. My God and God, go with nothing together.